Welcome to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guests are Emmeline Giles, environmental justice organizer at MCU, and Leah Clyburn, uh, Beyond Coal organizer for the Sierra Club, Missouri chapter. Today, we'll be talking about environmental justice, what it is, and how MCU and the Sierra Club are working with St. Louis communities. Welcome, Emmeline and Leah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Always a pleasure. Emmeline, to start off, uh, describe your mission as the environmental justice organizer at MCU. Yeah, so along with the mission of MCU in general, um, I'm working specifically to help mobilize and organize uh, Black clergy and their congregation members around environmental issues that are most impacting them in their communities. And I'm working right now specifically in um, areas of Jennings and the 27th Ward, trying to build relationships, building a base of folks. Okay, Leah, tell us about the CR Club's mission and then what your uh, role is with uh, Beyond Coal. Yeah, so yeah, within um, the Sierra Club, uh, the Beyond Coal is mainly focused, the campaign is focused on educating community all across the United States around the importance for transitioning, for us to transition to renewable uh, energy resources like wind and solar um, and truly um, reduce our um, carbon imprint across the United States, across the world, right? Because um, if people haven't noticed, climate change is something, right? <laughs> um, so with doing that, we've been um, really um, using the framework of what we call the Hamez principles, uh, which is lifts, lifts up the voices and uh, concerns and the values of, of community members that are highly impacted during this time. So um, I'm, I'm truly blessed and honored to be able to work with so many uh, grassroots organizations all across Missouri um, that really hi highlight um, the impacts of the unjust um, laws and policies that have been either ignored or have been um, not even enforced, right? Uh, all across Missouri in order to um, un unfortunately allow, allow uh, profit to uh, prevail over people. And that takes us to sort of the overview of what we wanna talk about today, which is environmental justice. Uh, can both of you tell me for yourself, what does environmental justice mean? What is this definition and how is it different than just environmentalism? I really see environmental justice as a movement, um, not just an area of study or anything. It's really a movement. And it, it first and foremost is led by folks, of people of color. And it demands that people of color, wherever we work, live and play, we have the rights to a clean and healthy environment wherever we are. Um, and typically people of color, especially, um, especially low income communities are most disproportionately impacted by environmental racism. And that can be anywhere um, from mold in our homes, lead poisoning in our paints, um, things of that nature. And um, what 
what really sets that apart from environmentalism um, for decades, you know, environmentalism, environmentalism has really been led by white folks and, and it's been around conservation and clean waters and things like that, which is really important, but it's not the entire environment. It is not taking consideration uh, where we live, work and play and how there are like tangible environmental toxic polluters that are specifically oriented around people of color. <laughs> you nailed it. Um, I think I think to the to to really hit it home is that so when we're talking about conservation, right? We're looking to conserve, right? What already exists. But if there's policies and laws that are allowing for what exists to then be taken away, then what are we fighting for? Right. Um, and so and, and to go just deeper into that, a lot of times what we're finding is when we look at like the the laws around how um, our utilities um, and what resources that they use. Right. In order to provide us with power, to provide us with resources, what is the effect from that? Right. That's what we're calling out. That's what environmental justice is about is while we utilize resources, how is this affecting our neighbors over here, right? Um, how is it going to affect um, our, our future, right? Our, 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 our waterways, right? Our, our, our conservation areas, right? And so often we overlook those things. Um, and so these are laws that uh, the environmental justice reviews and focuses on laws that are, are either missing or not enforced um, effectively um, in the misuse of resources, right? When we're talking about land, wind, um, air, uh, and water, right? And how this is impacting the least of us, right? So um, it's sometimes so easy for folks to, to, to look at, you know, black and brown communities. Now, granted, especially in Missouri, that's, that is definitely a place, right? But it's also it's also our private owned farms that are out in rural Mo, right? The, it's always interesting, the people on the two far ends of the spectrum here in Missouri are the ones that are highly impacted. And the rest of us, you know, we're still impacted, but we, we don't see it, right? It's just not prevalent, right? And it doesn't really hit our pockets like the way it does for folks, like what Emmeline was talking about with the, the mold, right? Most of us would live and live and have the opportunity to hold folks accountable for um, poor living environments. But mold is an issue. Mold is a part of the environment in which we live in. And when it sets, sets in these low-income homes that are being, you know, pushed off on our our um, lower-income folks or even our immigrant refugee refugee community members, that's a problem, right? to all the way to like say our folks over in rural Missouri where they're dealing with high levels of lead in their water, right? Um, they're, they're looking at land being snatched from them, right? Um, just to appease um, a, a corporation who, who prides itself on being a partner of, of our community. Instead, they are actually being a hindrance. So it sounds like there's also a little bit of a, a, a class division in there too, that, that the environment, environmentalism of the past is something that we sort of associate with suburban 
life, if you will. You know, the recycling, making sure the parks look good, things along those lines. Leah, what you're talking about is taking a look at how poverty infects that living environment also. And then Emmeline, your, your point is that that is also overlaid with the racial injustice that affects both, both of those issues. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I also wanted to lift up that like, um, and, and welcome folks to look into, uh, there's lots of information online about the environmental justice movement, how, you know, we've had ancestors, of course, and indigenous ancestors before us who have fought for these same things too. Though a lot of folks, um, when we think of the environmental justice movement in the US, point back to 1982, where Warren County in North Carolina really fought in a, in a way that set the stage for an environmental justice movement in the US. And I always wanna lift that up as folks can look into that and learn about it and see how it led to the work that we're doing now. Even in 1991, there was the first People's Summit for environmental justice. And, and that was all led by people of color. And, and I, if I didn't mention it before, environmental justice is a movement like inherently moved and led by people of color, right? You know, and that's, that's so true. And like, even to even go further, like it happened here in Missouri with the Rainbow Coalition, right? Along with MRCC, the Missouri uh, Christ, uh, Rural Crisis Center, along with in partner, strong partnership with um, the Organization for Black Struggle right? Um, the two of them who are still existing today, right? Um, um, Mama Jamala and Miss um, Rhonda, they, they work together to fight for the, the preservation of these farmlands, of land, right? Because land was not just being snatched from Black farmers that lived in North County. Land was being snatched from folks who lived in rural Missouri. And so that's exactly what it happens, right? If we even look at the history of division, right? Um, in our country, it, for, it first started off due to classism and then was justified due to racism, right? And it's all these isms that continues to uh, play a huge role in, in the depletion of, of our resources. And so it's, we're saying with environmental racism, with lifting this up, environmental justice, and demanding environmental justice for all people is actually a human rights issue, right? So we're demanding support for all people in, in lines with their human rights, right? And the law dividing folks based off of the color of their skin or the, the horrible narrative of, oh, well, they, they, they could do better if they, they didn't. And another, you know, prime example of how this is so intentional is if people look up, it's actually online, um, the um, Team Four, right? How St. Louis was structured um, to galvanize resources from everywhere around the Central Corridor. And just for those who aren't clear what the Central Corridor is, that's the Central West End. You want to find all the mansions or, you know, the movie, you know, Meet Me in St. Louis, all of that. Forest Park, all that area, right? Um, but who lives there? So let's turn a little bit to what you guys have been up to these days. Now, the outbreak of COVID-19 has put a halt to a lot of normal work and face-to-face -face organizing. So how has the pandemic changed what you do uh, and refocused how you're working with communities? It really uh, made 
us have to transition a lot of the work that we set out to do originally. Uh, we're still working around a lot of the that work, which is specifically energy efficiency, which is that was one of the things we wanted to engage clergy leaders and their members around um, trying to connect resources and funding to improve their energy efficiency, even through LED lightings, things like that. And then the pandemic, when it hit, it, it shook all of us. It really um, halted a lot of congregations and their ministries, their services. Everyone was having to figure out how to transition onto virtual services. We had to figure out what virtual organizing was and, and at the same time, take care of ourselves and our, and our well-beings. So one of the ways that we've actually transitioned in, in our environmental justice work, uh, and, and Lee is a, a big partner of mine in this work too, is uh, we started to plug in in our own communities around this uh, movement of mutual aid. So in St. Louis, we have St. Louis Mutual Aid Network, and there's mutual aid networks all across the nation. They existed before the pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, it ballooned basically all over and it's now in every metro, major metropolitan city and it's neighbors and community residents coming together to really feel, meet each other's needs, build relationships in a time of social distancing and quarantine, um, all virtually over the phone. And it's been so amazing just in my own neighborhood because I know more folks in a pandemic than I knew before the pandemic in my neighborhood. When I go on a walk, I see people I know at the same time, I'm able to, you know, drop off supplies for folks that don't have transportation or are older and shouldn't be exposing themselves to, um, you know, going to the grocery store and things like that. Um, and it's really a grassroots movement. It's not, it's, it's not an organization, doesn't have its own funding structure. So it's quite amazing. And they're all over. And so I, I highly recommend looking into that as well online. There's so many different articles. So because of that, uh, we actually have a really close relationship with Reverend Burton, who's at New Northside Missionary Baptist Church. He is the senior pastor there. And he's also a leader in environmental justice work in the region as well. We started having conversations about how we've been plugging in with mutual aid in our own neighborhoods and recognize the need, obviously, in, in Jennings in the 27th Ward area, where um, it's majority black community residents with little to no resources, even grocery stores and, and you know, the nearest clinic is miles away. Um, and so we just recognized that we wanted to plug in somehow and get fill the gap of need that wasn't being met by these larger food distribution drive-throughs for folks who, like I said, don't have transportation, shouldn't be exposing themselves. Um, and so we've been able to do ministry in the midst of a pandemic uh, by making phone calls to folks, checking in on them, asking what their immediate needs are. We got a small grant and it's been a beautiful thing. And the folks that we've impacted, we continue to build a relationship with them. And we've got about 10 folks who've asked for spiritual support. And so now we've been able to loop them back into and bring them into the fold of the congregation. Yeah, that's that's been one of the most courageous pieces of the work, right? But uh, also the, the work has actually accelerated, if you will, especially in this, um, this space, because um, <laughs> like many things, this the the the, the, the policies, the the um, planning um, of these uh, super polluters, if we if you will, um, throughout throughout Missouri specifically, did not stop right. And if anything, it, it accelerated. And so um, 
Yeah, I am so grateful for the partnership with Emmeline and and all the hard work that that we are able and capable of doing with the Reverend Burton and the, all the congregations over there. Um, like that, that was definitely one that helped meet an immediate need, right? And um, you know, for organizers and and just for community people alone, when you see you see and you know something's wrong, it's our human nature to want to fix it, right? But there was a time when we were like, what do we do, right? What do we do? And so Mutual Aid, if folks haven't plugged in yet, please do. Um, what is it? It's, it's uh, Mutual Aid STL. Um, and STLMutualAid.org. There you go. Um, uh, shameless plug, but like if you want to donate, you can donate directly um, to, a, to an individual or even just for the food, just for us to collect the food. Um, we have many partnerships with farmers who are also looking to answer the call um, to get resources out to healthy food out to communities. I mean, the, 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 the relationships that were, that was able to be built across the city, across the state is, is one that, you know, you dream about, um, to be, to try to say like, this is why I do what I do. And so, um, it was a lot of work, but yes, this, it, it gave all the feels, but also it allowed, it allowed us to, to share the information on people's rights that were getting a fringe, fringed upon during this time of the pandemic. Um, the pandemic definitely was an eye opener. Um, it definitely allowed us the opportunity to hone in and be like, there is, this is not an accident. Why they were able to, uh, to first put the first clinic um, to help get people tested in the county and not in the, in actually in the area where people were having the most numbers, right? Like it just, if one plus one is two, then where are you going? You know what I mean? So, um, and, and, and it, it caused for people just to wake up and be more vigilant um, and aware about what's really happening um, behind closed doors. And so for that, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Um, and, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm more hopeful than ever about what it look, what community actually looks like when we come together. So. I also want to add that like it also helped us to understand that we weren't just meeting these immediate needs that this work was inherently tied into environmental injustices because the areas we were working in and we were you know trying to fill the need and the gaps um, for need were also the areas that have the least resources like you're saying for healthcare, for um, COVID testing for months there was only one testing site in North County you know and so we also partnered with um, you know the mayor of Jennings and also Alderwoman um, Boyd in the 27th Ward to actually just and other congregations to, to distribute PPE masks because they weren't in the communities as well. And so it's just clearly understanding that connection of environmental justice and the pandemic and how it is the color of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just be really clear, like before COVID, back in 2018, Missouri Equity Indicators Report um, Said, indicated that the air pollution, air pollution in Missouri contributes to um, to what is it, 110 asthma-related hospitalizations of children in the e ER. 86 of those children are self-identified as African American. 
And then that, those, those conditions are those underlying conditions that make COVID so much worse. So it's just, it's one thing on top of another. It's one thing on top of another, one thing on top. And then just think, you know, when we're talking about environmental justice, right? If we don't get our air right, right? And you can't breathe already, right? Then we have, it's Missouri, so we have allergies. So that mixed with that, right? Then if you live in a house that has mold, right? Then do you have healthcare access? Oh no, because the nearest clinic is miles away. Okay, so now you got bills. Oh, but you don't have a car that you can rely on. Right. So one thing on top of another, on top of another, what kind of environment are you living in? Right. And then when so you have a flare up, you go to the ER and the bills that get added on because you're, you're not able to access preventative health care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, the, I mean, if the lists, you know, go that further at far and your children who's now home, you know, bedridden, can you go to work or who's at home that can go to or how long can you do that? Right. I mean, this is we're living in the pandemic now. How many people are still furloughed? And yet they want to start turning off people's electricity right now. But children are going back to school online. And which also was another thing that we realized people don't have access to the internet everywhere. People would say, Oh, well, we live in the city, you're fine. No, 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 you're not. You know, not everybody has the same access in the city. What you have in, in 631009 and what you have in 116 is two different things. And let's be clear, even if you're paying for electricity, it doesn't mean you have full access like folks in other areas of the city. And even if you're paying for electricity, it doesn't mean that your bill is equal to the electricity. Yeah. Because I know somebody who's paying $1,000 in electricity bill, but it's no sense. And their apartment is equal to the size of mine, and I'm only paying like 100 That's because I use a lot of air. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also, uh, you know, internet access isn't just the, the, the cable going to the house. You know, there's, there's a big chain there. And so it, it's well and good it, if the utility company actually does get around to getting the cable to the house, then it's about, well, is, is there the, the infrastructure inside the house? Is there the modem? Is, is there the, the laptop or the tablet that, that allows the child to be able to participate? So it's, it, it's not just one thing, but it's a whole whole chain of things oh, that need I to mean, happen. Yeah. I mean, because like that was one of the conversations. You know, one of one of the women that we work with does a lot within the community over in Dutchtown South, and one of the the issues that they're facing is um, parents without access to computers. And we, as a country, are having we're in a deficit to getting access to computers. Because guess who we get our computers from? And yet we have these tariff situation, right? So it's like, you don't want to be like, oh, but it's not politically, yeah, but it, it ends up being, right? Like, cause it's all part of the full picture. We're all in, we're all in this together, right? And um, every piece of the puzzle, every tree to every person matters, right? And if one thing of the system is broken, then we all are affected by it. And that's what environmental justice is. And it sounds like what this has also provided you guys uh, a great opportunity for is to build those community connections for that next step. Now you have connections for when, when there is that need for an action for something that we more typically think of as an environmental problem. So whether it's getting lead out of homes or, or mold out of homes, now there's that infrastructure built where there's community and community power that, that can place that pressure on the powers that be. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And I'd say like a big intention of mutual aid networks is not just to, to respond and react to the pandemic, but to maintain those relationships in that network for the long term for if there were, you know, to be another pandemic or whatever it might be. Talk a little bit um, about uh, listening to the community as opposed to swooping in. That, that, that's obviously something that, that we take pride on and, and work at in MCU. So talk about the ways that you listen to the community. It's, you know, it's, it's a part of relational organizing, which is a, uh, the main way that MCU uh, goes out into communities and, and builds relationships. It's relational means what it sounds like is, is having one-on-ones with folks and building long-term relationships. And that, and as you might understand, that can take some time, um, but it, it is, really grounded in authentic understanding of one another and our self-interest. And it also requires vulnerability from both parties to um, be to, in order to build trust. I think that's the biggest part of it. And so it's many conversations it's, it's that are in, intentional and, um, you know, like I said, uh, honest and authentic. And, and then it's also having an analysis and questions around, you know, what are the, what's the particular issues that we're talking about? You know, where does your self-interest lie based on that? And, and can we have, can we create and understand an analysis around how that issue is impacted by local politics, is impacted by people in power? And that you yourself as a resident who's impacted by this do have does have power does have a voice to do something about it and let's talk about the strategies and what we can do um, to do something about it and really it's it's about mobilizing other folks in your network friends and family people you know that you can have conversations with and and lying around and educate around these same issues because it really takes a village to make change right and it's it's the, you know, you mentioned this in the very beginning of the podcast um, where you introduced MCU and, and, and a lot of the work that we do around um, people controlling our government right now, right? And a lot of the powers that be that that has not been allowing us to have a true democracy. So it's like, but in order to do that, we need to have people understand and be involved in the political system. And at, we're at a crossroads now where we've heard the narratives that have taken away that power of like, you know, voting doesn't mean anything. Your vote doesn't count. That's all not true, but it's, it's a narrative that really has impacted a lot of folks and stripped away that power. So how do we bring that back to one another? How do we build relationships and build up that trust that we do have that power? Cause we do. Talk a little bit more about uh, um, you know, vote, why voting is so important to, uh, what you're doing with environmental justice. Oh, it's tied in completely. I mean, um, uh, Leah touched on some of these topics earlier about like the political process and how a lot of these big polluters like Ameren and other companies um, have a lot of money and they use a lot of that money to um, be able to lobby at um, our state capital around different policies and laws that help and benefit them um, to do the work that they want to do, but it's all fueled by profit at the end of the day. And so if we don't have more people from uh, the communities that are being impacted the most with their voices, whether it's, you know, um, 
through actions or especially through voting, then we don't we don't hear that. We don't see that. And and, and profits are always going to um, overcome any of that voice if we if it's not there, right? So that's why voting is so important because it, it ties into policies and policies impact our communities at the ground level. Yeah, we're talking about voting uh, for for you for Sierra Club. Why is voting important and and getting out the vote so important? So, you know, the two governing uh, boards, if you will, that oversee what happens in our environment um, and, you know, well, in our environment is the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, and the EPA. Um, There's one national and there's 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 a state level. Both of those groups matter, right? And... If the local EPA doesn't represent the people accordingly, then we have a problem, right? If the D, if the Department of Natural Resources don't represent the values and protect our, our natural resources, we have a problem, right? So when we vote and, and let our voices be heard, especially those who live in these areas, especially also those who have, you live in these areas and you haven't done the census, do it. <laughs> right? Like all, all of this matters, right? Um, and just to reiterate, we actually have now until October 31st to fill out the census. So fill out your census if you haven't done so. Right. And I was one of those people, right? To be very clear, I was one of those people who was taught not to go sign, don't fill out the census, right? Because, you know, you're Black, so they'll find you, right? <laughs> that, that was the clarity, right? Always use other. Now, you know, hindsight 2020 with the education that we now know about that was also a tactic used right used to keep people out of being counted right and you know enough is enough is enough is of that right because we're being affected in ways that that no one would ever have thought would be possible our human rights is being infringed upon because we're not accounted for. And so we need to be accounted for in the census. We need to be accounted for at the polls and really make sure that we have the people that are in that need to be in place whose values are in line with the the progression of all Missourians, right? But specifically in being a part of dismantling the, you know, the very racist system that has been holding back folks all these years. And Leah, what does it mean to not be counted? So um, I was the field lead, right, for Clean Missouri, um, where we we were able to educate folks all across Missouri around the need for um, reducing, um, for basically um, reducing funding, uh, uh, not donor, but um, private monies that was used to, um, to lobby uh, our, our, our leaders um, in Jefferson City. And so to not be counted for is to have a misrepresentation of your values. To not be counted for allows things like what they're trying to do now is, is you know, identify what schools are, are worthy and what schools aren't and, and what bus routes you know, need to get the access to what land, what roads need to get repaired. You know, to even to even what we've been witnessing, the um the 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 of months and months of of murders on Black lives, right? When you're not counted, we are not counted, and that that's a problem. And so, like, I'm begging for anyone of color who's going to be out here voting for all other things. Let your vote count. 
but you count as well. And know that when you go to that poll, you're not just voting for your own interest, you're voting for mine too, for all of ours. And that ties us into, amazingly enough, environmentalism or environmental justice tying into Amendment 3, which is on the ballot coming up in a couple of weeks in Missouri. Um, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the dangers of Amendment 3 and how that will affect an undercount uh, yeah, for representation. So right? No on three, right? So say no three times, right? Um, and it's because um, what, what, you know, what has happened is they've, they've unfortunately the legislature, folks in the legislature who's not for um, democracy reform, um, they want to they want to keep gerrymandering alive. They want to keep the money where they said. So the team four would be able to stay siphoning resources out of the um, areas around around the central corridor, like Fountain Park. Um, that's a problem, right? Um, it will it will also um, reduce the voice will basically get rid of the voices of anybody under the under the age of 18 and any immigrant uh, refugee um, individuals that live in 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 any area in Missouri it also doesn't count them either so basically throws out the census right um, and that's not what our foundation is built on in this country right no one but no one literally other than the indigenous folks who were here were are the only ones who have the right to say that they're, they're from here. The rest of us are immigrants ourselves. The rest of us are refugees ourselves. The rest of us were brought here for other reasons, <laughs> right? But nevertheless, we are not from these lands. These are not ours, right? And that's a whole nother conversation, right? Nevertheless, all of our voices are supposed to matter. That's what our fundamentals are brought up on, right? And to deny folks of that and say that you know what, if you if you don't have um, um, if you don't have a visa, we are some of us know that it takes a long time to get one of those, right? Or if you're under the age of eighteen, right? Then you you don't you don't count, right? So that you're not that, worthy. You're not, you're not worthy. A you're not a purse, whole person, right? You right. don't have the rights of a citizen in this country. Right. And that's not, that's not what we were, that's not what our constitution was built upon. Right. And so who, who is it to ever, anyone to ever, to take that judgment on, onto another person in this, in this country, right. In this state. Right. And that also what that does too, is when we talk about lifting up the voices, lifting up the concerns of the most marginalized you're talking about limiting those voices even more. You're talking about silencing those voices even more, right? You take away those resources, what do you have, right? You're already in a, in a, in a difficult situation as is, right? And guess what? The pollution doesn't stop, right? It's, 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 it's coming, right? It doesn't just, like the water doesn't stay in one spot, the air doesn't stay in one spot, and our land is porous. I mean, we, we are we are river people. That means we got holes all through our little our makeup underground, right? And so, if we don't start taking account for each other, then it'll find its way to to the most affluent parts of us. I think that's one of the the things that I like most about um, environmental justice uh, over just say environmentalism. I feel like environmentalism still carries forth this old idea of of humans being separate from nature, environmental justice seems to, to say we are part of this environment 
Um, all of us are part of this environment. So that means we need to figure out how to live in the environment and not just it's an either or. Either we take all the resources or we stop all the progress. It, it's, it, it seems to be a more holistic movement than, than either previous incarnation. That's right. I mean, just like, let's to get, to get some, to the clarity of the bigger picture here is in the United States, um, our, our utility, our Missouri's number one utility, right, is ranked the, the fourth largest emitter of sulfur dioxide in the nation. You can't breathe that. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we want to say Midwest values. How does that represent Midwest values, right? And I grew up here, right? And so my values is, is all about if I, if I want to go down by the river, I need to be able to get on the river. I need to be able to sit my feet in the river, right? And I need to be able to go camping when I want to. But if I can't breathe, then I'm stuck inside. Like, We're not even talking about water pollution too for the folks that do rely on water you know drinking water and the water table and that's a whole <laughs> yes right and and like and like we're the, the 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 same utility is the ninth largest emitter of mercury and the 14th largest emitter of carbon dioxide and the 14th largest emitter of um, nitrogen oxide what is that the, the largest is Labadee, is over there in Franklin County called Labadee, where there's no, there's no scrubbers, right, that tries to keep it, whatever smoke that's being emitted, some of it clean. Yeah, and you know, what you said earlier, too, just connecting that, like, every tree, every person counts, and we're all connected, and that's a big part of what you're saying, Kevin, about in environmental justice. It's not just about, you know, us versus our environment. It's us within and how we all impact that and how even this um, water pollution that's coming out of the Labadee factory um, is, is going into our Mississippi River along with all of the other pollutants from our industrial farming and, you know, coming out of the water table and all of that and go and just contributing to the Gulf um, and the dead zones down there. So it's, it's all connected, right? All connected. I see the rivers and the tributaries like veins and, and we're a living, breathing order, organism along with our earth. Yeah, that's right. I mean, even to even talk about how we removed, so there was all these trees that were moved from the city, right? They were moved all throughout the city because um, they were invasive. Good job out on who planted them in the first place. But then we need to replace those trees. Trees alone can help. Trees are good actually for removing um, toxins out of our ground, right? Trees, we already know it's good for oxygen, right? Trees are also good for helping cool places down, right? Reduces, um, reduce sound pollution, right? It's also known to do not, be nothing more, but the swing of the trees helps relax people, right? There's, there's, there's science to all of this. Right, we need the trees, and the tree needs us to, to plant them. <laughs> you know, so so why not? You know, and that that's that's the problem, right? Like you could go downtown, and well, you can go to Central Corridor and find trees everywhere. It's beautiful, but then you just keep going towards Jefferson, and you're wondering where did everything go? Why is it so dry? It it rains like everybody else, but why is it so dry? Right, right. 
So you guys had an opportunity to participate recently in an Air We Breathe conference. Tell us about what that was and what you took away from it. So the Air We Breathe is a wonderful event um, that is all based off of the identifying um, the continuing the continuing conversation around environmental injustice, environmental racism, while um, lifting up the the lives um, that are impacted in a very celebratory way, right? Because out of, out of all the chaos and out of all of the conditions that people are being placed to live in, there's still beauty that exists. And we get to celebrate that beauty while also um, holding, holding um, a mirror up to what is affecting these lives, right? Our lives. And so the Airy Breathe um, is an event that is a part of or related to um, an event that happens down in both New Orleans and in Texas uh, that is called The Breath is Life. And, and so there we, you know, at all these, at both events, we combined, you know, education around what's happening with food apartheid throughout Missouri um, and the housing conversation as well as the air conversation. Next year, we'll be talking a little bit more about water um, and, and providing opportunity for folks to come together as a community to not just learn about these, but to come up with ideas and solutions on how to address them. And then also intertwine you know, life and celebration through art, such as poetry, music, dance. We did dance this year, which was awesome. Um, and uh, really highlight some of the works that art and the environment are used to help our children thrive and move forward during these, these unsteady times. Okay, great, thanks. As we start to bring things to a close here, let's talk about any actions that either group have coming up that uh, you wanna call people's attention to, to call people to action and bring them into our activities and then tell us how, how we become involved, uh, what's the contact information and how, how do folks step up and participate? I would really highly recommend, as we mentioned, a couple of actions throughout the conversation already, you know, um, look into stlmutualaid.org to see how you can plug into your community, get involved if, if you can offer any type of support, whether it's monetary or if you're able to, um, you know, deliver supplies, purchase supplies, things like that. There's all different ways to plug in. If you don't want to expose yourself, we need folks making calls. We definitely need translators as well. Um, and uh, outside of that, you know, um, we also, I always want to lift up, uh, there is an environmental racism report that was published uh, last March. So, uh, and that's specifically for St. Louis. If you want to learn more, please look that up. It is free. It's available online. We can also link it as well. Yeah, and then on to the other side of that report, we are working on on um, collecting solutions, right? And the solutions, you know, just like the Hamas principles tells us, we need to let up the get the solutions from the community, right? Um, and so the community is all of us. Um, so um, there will be listening e events uh, where we will be providing some additional background information regarding specific issues. There'll be four of them, and then um, opportunities to to be trained to get some training around your um, story of self and telling your story. Um, in which, if you opt in, you can also get that recorded um, and. Um, these suggestions 
and uh, stories as well as ad additional collected data will be compiled into a report um, uh, and given to legislators all across Missouri. Um, also, um, again, vote. <laughs> vote, do the research. Um, the Sierra Club has a report card on everybody and everything um, that, that is out. You just go to the Sierra Club homepage, um, the Sierra Club uh, Missouri, and you can find out we have a report card on every and any, everyone and anything um, and how it relates to, um, to the environment. Uh, we also want to invite folks to, to, uh, to just reach out to either Emmeline and myself, um, both at the Sierra Club or at MCU, and really get engaged how they might feel called to get engaged. You know, there's there's so many ways to get this work done. And, you know, it's going to take every single one of us and our own individual magic to make it happen. And so I, I just welcome any and all to the community to 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 like let's let's get this let's get this done and a just and equitable way so that we have we have a earth have a, have a world that we can actually say that we have put together okay great i want to thank our guest today emmeline giles the environmental justice organizer at mcu leah clyburn beyond coal organizer for the sierra club missouri chapter to learn more about mcu go to the metropolitan congregations united website at mcustlewis.org and also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.